0: A battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras. Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
1: Everybody, welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight we've got Paul and Corey in the house, and we are uh we're gonna go around the table here real quick. Give you a rundown of what we've been up to this week and then get you some news, and then we've got a, a guest for us. So uh Paul, what you been up to this week?
2: Oh man, I have just been working like crazy. So no fun this week. We we're I was off for two weeks. Uh the Rona. The camp, yeah, rolled into the Campbell household for for a while. Nothing, nothing major, uh, but but I was shut down. My wife, kids were all home for two weeks, and work just like piled up, man. And, and
1: well, and so you just started crazy. that new so, job. You just started that new job. Yeah, so I'm sure that saw, really yeah,
2: helped. I, I started this new job. Mm-hmm. And I just I just got into like the swing of things, and you know, meeting all my all my customers. And I cover like f- four state territories, so I do I do a lot of traveling, and it just totally took all my momentum away. And, uh, so I'm just trying to, trying to dig out. I, um, you guys have talked me into, into bow hunting more. So I took my, my bow to a shop, a local, a local bow shop mm-hmm. here. And I'm having a new string put on and, uh, it was a single, I bought a single pin sight years ago. I love it. But, uh, the whole thing like fell off and you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't shot this bow in like five years. So, so you've got a know that's not going to work. And no yeah, pin so I, yeah. I've got, I've got a no, a no pin site. So we're going to get that, get, get that. He's back about together. 33.
3: Sounds good to me.
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to today is Thursday, October 7th uh, and two days, fall turkey season opens up. So I am going to be chasing some wild turkeys finally.
3: So good. Corey, yeah. what are you,
1: what have you been up to?
3: Yeah. Uh, about the same whole lot of work still building your fence yeah it's coming along it's almost done i got to put a gate on it and then it's going to be done um so not too much to, to worry about there but just work it's been real rainy up here this whole week really real doom and gloom type weather
1: right well that's uh that's the same story down here in uh, central ohio so, said uh, it. Everyone uh Columbus, all you right. Said Central it. Ohio, yeah, it's all the same, right? It. Uh, no. Oh my gosh, man. It is October 7th. As Paul said, I don't know what day this will air, but the, uh, the weather pattern has been awful. I, this is, this is killing me. And I got to sit up in a tree in a thunderstorm the other day for the first time. And let me just tell you, I'm not a fan of lightning to begin with. So that, that was interesting. Uh,
2: it was a nasty one, too, that rolled through. I, I, I watched it on the radio or on the radar. I was like, oh, God, that's
3: had it right for months. I, I watched How fast that? did you discover you could get down? Well,
1: I OK, I watched that that storm come up 71. And of course, the whole time it's coming, there's no lightning on the radar. I got the little lightning detector and everything. Nothing about, I don't know, 20 miles before it's going to hit me. All of a sudden, the lightning starts. And I'm like, no, but uh no, I, I got out of that tree real fast and I left everything hang up there until I could uh, get back up. Needless to say, I didn't see any deer that night. So uh, I'm doing my best to try to burn out my spots and uh, I'm getting very antsy and it needs to get colder. So uh, that's where we're at with that. As far as news goes around the state, uh, actually today was a pretty big day. Paul, you want to tell us about
2: that? It is a really big day. So Back in the in the spring, the Department of Natural Resources and the Department of Wildlife had um, public forums about uh, in, in regards to the, the wild turkey permit uh, bag limits for 2022. And so there are a couple, uh, you know, town hall meetings, if you will, where we where, um, where hunters could go and voice their opinions on on the. Uh, the bag limits. Well, today, the, the Department of Natural Resources released the bag limits for 2022 will be one bearded turkey per hunter. So from and and this is just my understanding, and we have actually we're going to have um, uh, we're trying to get the state wildlife biologist that helped write this policy uh, on the program. I think it's going to work out. Hopefully we'll have that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but from my understanding, you know, we've seen a decrease in harvest numbers over the last couple of years. And that's kind of how the state gauges uh, the, the overall wild turkey population is based off of those those harvest numbers. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other um, you know, metrics to, to, to measure that. But we've seen a decrease in the wild turkey population in the state of Ohio. And, you know, if I don't know, there's something near and dear to my heart if you look at like grouse population in the state of Ohio, grouse have disappeared. I mean, the, that, that bird is gone. And, and the, the grouse is a cousin of the wild turkey. So, you know, we could see, theoretically, we could see the same type of disappearance, the same type of habitat destruction and population decline that we've seen with the grouse with the wild turkey. So, you know, I've got some really big opinions about this. I will save this uh, for another episode, but that is what is out there right now. Um, I would love to hear listener feedback uh, on, on this topic Um, questions for the state wildlife biologist? send them in. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Ohio hunt. You can find us on Instagram at what is it? You
1: asked me too fast. Hang on. Uh, All the good
2: Instagram names were taken.
1: Right. We had to modify a little bit too. So this is different from last time. It's the period o2 period podcast and then yeah. we do have an email it's ohio outdoors podcast at gmail.com so or yeah, the website you can
2: find me personally i'm i'm real active on twitter at paul campbell 322 i think i don't know um uh, i don't know it's, it's this is this is a big it's a big deal i think for the state of ohio um for turkey hunting i this is definitely a big picture uh move here i personally have a ton of questions and i'm sure a lot of our turkey hunter listeners We'll have a lot of questions and a lot of opinions. We're going to talk about that. So today's not the day, but that's definitely the the big news for for, uh, October 7th.
1: Very good. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Other things on the news front we have. um, Let's see here. The Ohio muskie fishing uh, stocking of the different ponds and lakes and water, bodies of water around Ohio. So we've got Allen Creek, caesar creek clear fork cj brown reservoir uh lake milton leesville lake piedmont lake uh pima tuning lake sorry guys that was bad salt fork reservoir west pima tuning there you go uh west branch reservoir twenty thousand muskies put out there so something to look forward to down yeah, the road eight but.
2: to 12 inches so yeah good that's a good uh the same and, in my opinion they they, they do like I feel like they do a pretty decent job with the fish hatcheries and, and stocking some of these, uh, inland, inland impediments or pondments or whatever the hell they, they call them. So no, I'm happy to hear
1: that. Then as far as, uh, what's in season, obviously deer, uh, as Paul alluded to, you know, October 9th is when fall Turkey will start and go until November 28th. And then there's all kinds of stuff. Man, One got- bird
2: per hunter, male or female. So
1: there you go. Um, lots duck comes game. In. Yep,
2: duck comes in. Duck and goose first split is October twenty third. Kids, get ready for that.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, get, you can you tell who the duck and goose hunter is.
4: <laughs> there, so. well, I'm ready, <laughs>
2: man. Well, yeah. I am ready. I'll t- I, so I, I talked about this real on the last episode. I ordered a I ordered a new duck call. Oh yeah, about
3: the hipster duck caller.
2: Yeah, don't start. Um, <laughs> So I ordered from this website and I I tried to help like the little guy out, you know. And um so I ordered from this, this small company and got this really nice, really nice call. And they never emailed me like a shipping date or like confirmation, you know.
3: So you a week goes up. by.
2: No, no, I wish it did. A week goes by. So I call yesterday, I call this and and I talked to this lady. And it was like a total inconvenience. I was like, yo, I was like, you can't charge me $20 for shipping. I was like, at well, least tell me when it's going to be. It'll be here. It'll, it'll be guaranteed there tomorrow. Well, today is tomorrow. Still isn't here. So.
1: I'm some angry. frustration and oh. anger.
2: Oh my duck call,
1: man? I hear you. I get it. So, um, let's see what else. Squirrels in, rough grouse mm-hmm. on public lands and private lands on October 9th. So.
2: No, i think rough ground and someone I, and i'm not trying sure to have the book in front of me but that's only like certain counties isn't it or is it statewide
1: check your regulations guide let's just say that yeah before we get into that so yes and there there's a handful of other things but check your regulation guides we got we're getting in the swing of things folks so uh, things look good so today we are going to get into our the meat of our podcast of our talk. We've got a special guest, uh, Mr. Mike Rex. Uh, Paul, do you want to give us a little rundown on Mike and what exactly why he's special?
2: Yeah, so Mike is uh, a resident of Southern Ohio. He's down in uh, Southeast County. Um, Just a really, really good guy. Um, Very accomplished bow hunter. He is a member of the Big Bug Club. He's got 20 entries to his name. Uh, more over 20 entries uh so big buck uh entry is any typical that scores over 140 any non-typical that scores over 160 with any um hunting implement um his family has over 40 combined pope and young entries to their name um mike has scored a big buck club entry every year since 2004 he has a uh a record for that year of a typical deer or non-typical deer excuse me 218 and six eights was the score for that deer so mike has seen it all he he's been hunting for longer than a lot of us listening to the show have been alive and he is just really good he has a wealth of knowledge um i think that people are really going to enjoy this interview i want him to be a friend of the program i'd love to just pick his brain on i mean just really dive deep uh, yeah i listened it, to him talk it, so. for hours
3: he's got you so could, much knowledge you could.
2: yeah i i really i really feel strongly that, that people are going to like this interview you're going to like him as a person i mean he's just salt of the earth and and he's just a good dude good and dude. when you get when you get people that are good they're they're, they're good people and they're really good at, at deer hunting i mean listen to them learn from them and uh, I think I think we try to accomplish that with this with this interview. So you can
3: tell he really enjoys talking about deer and deer hunting when yeah, he talks. He, yeah,
2: he knows so much. We're going to get him back on because there there's a couple a couple questions that I have that I really want to spend some time on. So
1: he's kind of a big deal as far as bow hunting in Ohio goes. So uh, for sure,
2: he's one of the best. I mean, if you if you look at I mean, if you're talking about just taking taking mature white-tailed deer he is without a doubt one of the best in the last like 40 45 years and, and there's no arguing that and you have to respect that so
1: all right well here is our uh, interview with mr mike rex and uh we'll talk to you guys next week take care
4: See you.
2: joined with ohio resident mike rex uh mike i think might be the most accomplished bow hunter in the state of ohio uh definitely top 10 in the country if i had to guess mike would you agree with that talk you up a little bit uh, <laughs> stay humble country
4: but but i've been hunting a long time yeah how long have you been in this uh i started bow hunting 1978 oh wow that
1: was before bow hunting was cool
4: <laughs> yeah. I was a boy.
2: Uh, good, good deal. So, Mike, just uh, just a couple quick questions, you know, before before we dive in this. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what you do for a living, family, um, just just basics. You know, just get
4: let us get to know you, let the audience get to know you. And sure, I'm a uh, I'm semi retired. I work most of my career in the chemical business, industrial chemicals. I now own uh, four marinas. I rent boats, so work seasonally. Uh, it's a family business. We also have some cabins that we rent. Uh, my oldest son runs one of the marinas. Uh, so that's, you know, that's pretty much it now. I, I stepped away from the chemical business about three years ago. I've got uh, three boys that are all very avid hunters. They're all probably your age and they're mid to late 20s. Um, actually, they're probably more avid than I am. <laughs> and, uh, a lot, a lot of the enthusiasm that I have for hunting now, I sort of channel into them, uh, because I've, you know, I've been doing it for so long that, that it's still a bunch of fun. I still enjoy it, but I get more enjoyment out of seeing them succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can imagine it's, it's
2: probably been pretty neat watching them grow up and, and become accomplished bow
4: hunters in their own right. So it, it is, it's, I, I tell people that you really find out how much you love your kids. When you've got one really hot stand and you're sitting in the truck waiting to pick one up, Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good.
2: That's good stuff, man. I, at, uh, I, I I have a son that that you know he he hunts a lot with me, and and you know I, I'm I'm the same way. I want to see him be successful, and you, know, you you pass up opportunities that you get just for just for your kids. So, sure. um, no, that's that's good stuff. So, I really I really want to the first topic I want to go over, Mike is I want to I want to understand kind of your process that that you take um to being a, an ultra successful bow hunter in the state. So you know it's like if, if you played sports as a kid, everyone knows that you know championships, especially if you play football, championships are won, you know, July and August or you know they're won during two days when you know when you put that effort in um it's by the outside offensive of the line. Game. It's,
1: they're won by that? the offensive line. That's where that's right. All- yeah. Right. That's
2: that's where hey man, that's you're speaking <laughs> my language there. So sorry yeah I I, I've kind of equate that and and tell me if I'm wrong here I kind of equate those same things the 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 bow hunters the just the hunters in general that that are really successful they do the small things really well they put a lot of effort into into hunting in the months that are kind of you know June July August so what you know what, what do you do during the summer to prepare for deer season I mean at this point like I'd imagine you're making your boys do all the work hang stands and and uh and do all the heavy yeah. lifting
4: so you you've earned that right i i hope so um you know i've kind of come full circle i used to um i used to do a lot of preseason scouting but now are you still there yeah yeah everything went black for a second okay but anyway i, I used to do a lot of preseason scouting um now a lot of it is just We do a lot of shed hunting, and so uh, my oldest son, especially, is a really, really avid shed hunter, and so one of the things that's most important to us is specific deer that we know survived the previous hunting season, the previous winter. We have a pretty good idea, usually, of, of where they are if we have some history with them, and so deer have kind of specific home ranges that vary throughout different times of the year. So as far as scouting goes, you can watch deer in, in ag fields and bean fields all summer long and think, man, this is, you know, I gotta do is fill out my tag and time and the date. And then as the season gets close and the beans start to turn colors and the acorns start to drop, their range totally changes. Also, when the velvet comes off, those bachelor groups of bucks that tolerated each other all summer don't tolerate each other very well when, you know, when the rut starts to get starts to get going a little bit. And so they spread out. And so a lot of what I do is based on history with okay so this deer let's say i start the season i want to hunt a specific deer a lot of times i have an idea of where his early fall range is and then where his 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 later fall and winter range might be if i'm still hunting them late and so i put kind of more stock into that where it's, it's more of a history thing than it is just preparing you know the, the the summer before now as far as the equipment goes i'm going to be honest with you I, i've been I've been an archer since 1978, so 43 years. Um, and I spent about 39 of those years making fun of people that hunted with crossbows. My friends that hunted with crossbows. And unfortunately, that is now me. And I shouldn't say okay. unfortunately. But, um, I've got a bone spur on my right arm, and I, I can't draw my bow comfortably. And so about three years ago, two, well, three seasons ago, two years ago, I had to make a decision, and that was uh, crossbow or no-go. And so I, I'm, I'm now a string rifleman. But uh and, and that really truth <laughs> because I, I made fun of a lot of my friends for a lot of years who who have since taken great pleasure in in uh you know reminding me of fun. that. Exactly. So I don't yeah. do a lot of shoot a lot, you know, in the summertime and and you know try to get ready, comfortable with my equipment. The the, the new crossbows, really it's unnecessary. I mean you dial them in and it's 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 kind of like hunting with a 22 match rifle. I mean, they're really accurate and
3: yeah. it actually
4: game changer.
3: I can't believe how quiet they are now just how oh, quiet yeah. crossbows have gotten over the last i don't know five ten years or so they are just like whisper quiet
4: unbelievably powerful i i bought a, um, a it's called a raven i'm not sure if you're familiar yes. with this yeah bought a Raven, a, a couple of years ago and and i bought it at start shop and the guy at the shop told me after i would shot it in his shop he said hey you want to get a specific target for this because these arrows are really hard to stop and I thought, yeah, okay, well, I've got several block targets at my house. Not a problem. I'll just put them back to back. So I went home and I took two block targets, put them back to back, and and took a, a practice shot. And it didn't even slow the slow the build down. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's it's, yeah. So it, let, it, let me
2: let me ask you this. I want to circle back to to the shed hunting and, and kind of your history with bucks. Now, are, when when you're taking like a buck inventory, if you will, of what you have on the properties that that you hunt. So you're going out, you're shed hunting, you're finding antlers. Are you going back and reviewing like trail cam footage to see, you know, what yeah. bucks survive or, or do you have kind of like a mental inventory of all of these deer that, that you would classify in the, in the, in a category that you're looking to hunt? So how, how, do, how do you, how do you do that? Like what's, what's your
4: process there? First of all, you touched on trail cameras. I would be the first to say that if like some states outlawed cellular trail cameras and, and which are a huge part of what we do, but um, it, trail cameras have been the absolute single greatest game changer for me, my style of hunting. Um, I Most of the deer that I've killed in the last, oh, probably 10 to 15 years. And, and my boys included, we had lots of, I mean, we, we were thinking the la- I think the last time my boys and I killed a random big buck that we didn't know about that we didn't already know about, have a picture of, was 2004 that's the last oh, wow time we, wow all the rest of them have been you know we got a lot of history with them and and so to, so to go back to your question about you know how do, how do you process from the deer from last year to this year yeah that's a real tough one because some deer will fool you like i have a friend of mine who killed a deer a couple of years ago that made boone and crockett netted over 170 inches and he had six years history with this deer and the deer was at least at least eight and a half years old and at four and a half five and a half six and a half and seven and a half this deer was 140 to 150 last year and then the the jump between seven and a half and eight and a half he went from like 150 to 170 which you never would have thought you never know Some deer blow up some deer don't some deer you think especially if you don't have history with them it's really easy to misjudge how old a deer is we got a picture. We got a trail camera photo, and, and if you'd like, I can, I'll send it to you. And if you can include this in your podcast, I don't know if you you'll be able to put it up there, but we've got we got a trail camera of a deer picture of a deer a couple of years ago. My boys and I we looked at it and we didn't recognize him, and we said, Wow, that that's a that's a future superstar. He's three and a half year old buck, and I mean just he had all the characteristics of a three and a half year old buck that was going to you know blossom into something tremendous. And that fall he got killed on a farm down the road. From, from where we live, and I found him lying dead, and I started asking around some of the guys that hunt the area. I found the guy who had shot the deer. I had him describe it to me. I had a couple of sticker times. It was very you know, easy to describe, and, and so I told him, I said, well, I, I found your deer, and I took him to it, and when we were, were standing over it, I said, man, you know, I said, that, that deer, that's that's a really nice young buck, and he said, young, seven and a half years old. I said, what? He pulled the phone and proceeds to show me four years of trail camp. This wow. Buck. Whoa. Absolutely the same deer. So if you don't have history with them, it's really hard. It's really hard sometimes to gauge. Some I mean, it's if you can gauge a two and a half to a three and a half, and then a lot of times a three and a half to a four and a half. And when they get over four and a half years old, sometimes it'll fool you. But you just don't know who's who's gonna be what the next year. Yeah. So, so when you've got
2: when you've got years long history with these deers or with these deer, excuse me, what what are you doing to I mean to keep those deer on a, on a piece of property. I mean, you, know, you read all the time where a buck might travel, you know, four miles during the rut, never return back. And what, what are you doing yeah. to keep that number of deer on, on your particular property?
4: Are you, are you guys, you know, yeah. what, what's kind of like your management strategy? Nothing. Okay. So here, here's another problem that, that, that is a real problem. And it's almost, unless you control thousands and thousands of acres, that's a very difficult thing to do. And here's why when bucks get to be mature, they don't tolerate each other real well. So it'd be like this. If you, if you go to a bar and there's a, you know, some good looking girls in there, but there's 50 guys in there and you got to fight every night to just to talk to one of them, you're going to seek out a bar. That's got a little better ratio
3: Or you maybe not go butt- for a ladies night.
4: <laughs> so what happens is if you've got a couple of really good bucks in an area, they spread out because they, they know instinctively that, that, they, you know, that they're going to butt heads all the time. And so, something else i found is that a lot of times in an area buck will be a bully so like i don't know if you guys turkey hunt but this is pretty common in it but you you can go you can go into an area and and you'll hear one turkey gobble and if you take that turkey out if you kill that turkey you go back in three or four or five days sometimes there'll be four or five gobblers gobbling in the same area that were always there the whole time they just didn't gobble because they're being suppressed by you know by the boss hog by the you know, by the most dominant gobbler. Same thing with the deer in an area. I I fully believe this. We've had deer disappear for years. Like we'd we'd get pictures of them for two, three years in a row and then gone. You'd assume they're dead. And a year or two or three later, they'll show up and boom, there is again. And and I really believe the demographics of a neighborhood change. And so a three-year-old becomes a four-year-old, a four-year-old becomes a five-year-old, they get more dominant, and so older bucks, they just go where they don't have to fight, and so, or, or they're not getting, you know, they're not constantly in competition, and so a lot of times, these deer spread out, so to answer your question, what do I do to keep deer, on my like, I don't do anything other than I try to keep tabs on them with trail cameras as best I can, and a lot of times, they'll disappear, sometimes it's for days, sometimes it's for weeks, months, years, a lot of times, uh, bucks, You'll get a lot of trail camera photos of them in an area in October and boom, they're gone. You think that ah, something happened, you get hit by a car, hunter shot them and then bang it shows back up in January. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. Andrew, do you have
2: a question?
1: Yeah. So Mike, when, when you're doing the inventory on, on the deer, I mean, I get all these pictures and I'm like, I see these little bucks and I'm like, all right. So I guess the question is at what point do you kind of start flagging them and saying that one is next in line and that one, you know and start really take taking inventory of them. Is it at one and a half, two and a half, three and a half? But, uh, there's got to be a point, right? You can just take every spike and, and try to watch them all the way through, right?
4: Yeah, I think three and a half is a good bellwether. When a deer gets three and four and a half, two and a half, it's really hard to say. I, I've seen deer just blow up that you would have never expected. And, and, and the same thing can happen when they get older, but I think you start to really see what they're going to be like when they get to be three and a half and for sure when they get to be four and a half years old do you guys practice do you do any like do you guys shoot does at all or is that just yeah okay yeah yeah we don't um i I can tell you that that is that that really is a a major component to a lot of places um and boy i could go off on a story here about um about deer densities which would probably take up your whole podcast but but
2: is we will put a pin in that and we will have you on
3: another episode because i i I really was just gonna say what's the magic number like does per square mile. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no i i really i really want to hear that so we're,
4: we'll we'll do a podcast episode about that great well i'll try to paraphrase it so I, you guys may have heard of a guy named david morris so so david morris founded north american whitetail he and uh uh was it steve vaughn and dick I- and dick Idle. yeah back oh gosh years and years and you probably 40 some years ago but anyway david morris I believe has killed more boon and crockets which is world record book deer than than anybody ever um for sure if not he's in the very very top but he's also a, a a master's degree biologist wildlife biologist and probably the deepest thinker i've ever met as far as this this stuff goes and i got to be friends with him several years ago and I picked him up once at the airport, we were going to a meeting and on the way to the meeting, we had just gotten to be good friends I used to write for his magazine, North America whitetail magazine. So I, I knew him by that, but I'd never really spent any time with him. And, um, uh, he asked me, he said, Mike, he said, you're on trail cameras. And I said, yeah. And he said, how many, I said a lot, you know, probably 40 or 50 at a time. And, and he said, Dave, hey, you ever get any pictures of any big bucks? And I said, well, occasionally And he said, well, when do you get them? I said, that's nah, usually in the middle of the night. And he said, why do you suppose that is? And I said, well, I suppose it's because big bucks only move around much in the middle of the night. He said, well, that's part of it, but let me tell you what it really is. And then he went on to explain to me some radio collar stuff that he had done. He used to own Burnt Pine Plantation and Fort Fort Perry in in Georgia. This guy's really done a lot, a lot. He owns Tecumate seed seed blends, food plot seed blends. So anyway, um, he said, it's like this. He said when a mature buck, when he, what he calls a mature buck is five and a half plus or six and a half plus, to be more specific, gets to be that old, they become antisocial. And what he means by antisocial is, um, they don't like, cra- they don't like other anything. They don't like other people. They don't like coyotes. They don't like squirrels. They don't like that. They only Thank trust you. those. They're very solitary creatures. A lot of times they'll, they'll travel. If they travel with another deer, it's usually a younger buck. And he's like a blocker. He's out in front. And, and so, he was telling me. He said, "He said, watch him." And, and and when he started telling me this stuff, just like it was like an aha moment. I mean, just lights start going off in my head. He said, "Think about it. If it was just the cover of darkness," he said, "Where do you set your trail cameras?" I said, well, "I set them in high traffic areas." I set them over food sources. I set them in funnels. I set them in places where I'm hopefully going to see a lot of deer. He said, "Exactly." He said, and "The reason you're not seeing those deer until one, two, three o'clock in the morning is because." That's when the crowds clear out. If it were just the cover of darkness, you'd see them as soon as it gets dark, but but not. He said, you see the does, the fawns. He said, watch a bachelor group in the summertime out in the field. The two, three, four-year-old bucks will all be in a group, and the, the older bucks will be with them. He said, watch them exit the field. When they exit the field, the, the two, three, four-year-olds, they all go off in a group. The, the mature bucks all leave by themselves. They're solitary creatures. They only trust their nose. They only trust their eyes. They don't, they don't trust anything else. They don't get to be that old by being yeah. normal. They don't do what other deer do. If they did, they'd get killed. So they're just, they They become like a totally different animal. And man, when he told me that it was, it was really, it was really a, an altering experience. But he's exactly right. So tying that back together with the ultimate number of does and and things in all honesty, you, you don't, when I think back to some of the very biggest bucks that I've killed, especially the ones in during the rut or even in the middle after the rut, it's almost always been in fringe areas. It's not in the areas where all the deer were it's on the perimeter of the areas where all the deer are. And, and when he told me this, it just like, Whoa, that's exactly what I saw. I've just never connected the dots. That makes any sense.
3: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's
2: that's fascinating.
3: It's so funny that you talk about like the lead blocker because I, uh, this year, I have trail cam footage of a pretty nice eight and every picture I have of him, I don't know whether, it, you know, it might be a half hour, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. There's, there's a one or two year old or two or three year old little four point before him.
4: That's every right.
3: single picture I have of him, that yep. little four is, is there first. Yep. It's like a sacrificial funny.
4: lamb.
1: And let's just preface that your good eight is nothing to Mike's dear. Okay. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. I'm talking about 130 inch eight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
2: the the one I, I I did some research, I was reading some articles about you, and uh I read just a a paragraph about your scent control process. And oh, yeah. I'm gonna be honest, you sound like a maniac when it comes to scent control. Just no, you know, I I mean it is like the most in-depth process and obviously it works so speak a little bit about what you do for 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 the scent control process
4: well all right now it depends because i've kind of come full circle on this too are you talking okay. about hardwood smoke or no or this was talking? like
2: five layers uh, of like base uh, scent control oh. i was like the article is probably
4: five or six years old but so i'm sure you've changed but well, let me say let me say this well a couple of things the single most effective Scent reducing program that I have come across is hardwood smoke. And, and, and I, I don't want to go like, again, I go on for a long time about this, but here's the basic premise. Hardwood smoke has, I believe it's chlorophenols and trichlorophenols in it that are antimicrobial. So what the deer smell, they smell carbon dioxide from our breath and given off through the pores of our skin. And the reason that a deer is scared to death of a dog, but not scared of a cow or a horse because cows and horses are herbivores they only eat plants dogs eat meat we are also Mm. meat but we give off a specific odor that is is very offensive to them that they find dangerous and so what kills that so, so so the the science behind it would be like this if you take a piece of meat and you throw it on a table and three days later you eat it raw meat you get sick because it's covered in bacteria you take that same piece of meat you put it in a hardwood smoker you throw it on a table six months later, you can eat it, you're fine. The reason being is that the chlorophenols and trichlorphenols and hardwood smoke are antimicrobial. They kill the bacteria that makes us sick. Well, if you if you smoke yourself up with hardwood smoke, it's not a cover scent. I I really don't believe we have four million olfactory sensors in our nose. A deer has 250 million olfactory sensors. I mean, we smell, you know, we eat vegetable soup, we smell vegetable soup, a deer smells peas, corn, carrot. I mean, it's their sense of smell is so outrageously sensitive. We can't even imagine that a, a bloodhound, a tracking dog has about 125 million olfactory sensors in his nose. So a white-tailed deer's nose is twice as sensitive as a bloodhound and a bloodhound can track you 12 hours after you walk through a field. So a deer's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but, but anyway, what the hardwood smoke does is, and I have no science behind this other than experience is it knocks down enough of your odor that the deer still smell you but it either confuses them how close you are or um you know it just it just messes with their perception and so a lot of times they'll look in your direction but they don't they don't snort and and spook like they would if you were doing nothing at all but but there's absolutely nothing that beats hunting downwind there's nothing nothing i have found beat that but but as far as scent control goes If if I have an area where I'm going to hunt and I know the descent is probably I I need to be there timing is right everything's right and there's only one tree that works and I know there's a probability that this deer might come from downwind of me then um, you know I I I I would probably I would I would smoke up before I went out. Some people think that's crazy you know because well well you smell like smoke and and it alerts the deer you know you give off a specific odor. Well deer smell lots of foreign odors over the course of a day. They just, you know, it's the stuff that eats meat that scares them to death. So if I go vegan, do
2: you think I'll see more deer? Absolutely.
4: <laughs> you, I, even, you know what?
2: I, I'm, I'm sold. I'm just gonna, nope. I'm just gonna go vegan and start shooting no. giant bucks. That's that's the plan that I've
4: been missing. That's the, the magic golden ticket. Dean or Barry Wenzel used to do that, and I thought, gosh, crazy. But yeah, if, if you went vegan, you would not smell offensive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man, that's, that's, that's wild. So what, one other question I want to talk about, just kind of about the process. Oh, go ahead, Andrew.
1: Well, I was just going to say, Mike, when, okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm a sucker for trying all this stuff that comes out. So last year I tried the ozone stuff, which I think that the idea is similar as far as killing some of the bacteria and that kind of stuff. I was pretty impressed with it. Um, I, mm-hmm. And so I miss, maybe it's just me being anecdotal or whatever, but one of the other things I noticed is, is I'll go out in the woods. I'll walk, check my trail cam cards and that kind of stuff and uh, you know i always worry that i'll do it on my way home from work or something i'm gonna booger up the area and and screw it up and then i'll go back and check the i was there and then three hours later the deer walked through so to me it's like are they getting used to my scent or is it something that uh just randomly got lucky or they don't care these deer you know whatever you have any thoughts on that
4: actually well a, a couple things getting back getting back to your point about uh going in checking trail cameras and then the deer coming in right after you so years ago before there was a thermocell, if i was going to hunt an area early season and i knew the mosquitoes were going to be bad and you just hear hunt in a swamp or some area lowland area and you just know you're going to get carried off by mosquitoes i would go into that area for a month prior to that at least a couple days a week and i would take off and i'd spray the base of my tree and just, just hit it with <laughs> an inch. and i'd do that for you know a week in, or a month in a row with the idea being that I'm going to desensitize these deer to the smell of off because they've been through here a million times and they smell it and nothing, nothing tried to eat them. And so the same thing can be said. If you're, if you're visiting an area for whatever, being a feeder, if you're dropping corn or you're, you're checking a camera, whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're spending a lot of time, it, it will absolutely over time, it will desensitize the deer to, to your, your odor. Same reason that deer in cities, you know, in towns are, are a lot less weary than deer out, farther out into the country because the deer in town are interacting with people on a daily basis the deer out in the country don't see people very often i, I really believe one of the reasons that the deer get the bucks especially get very nocturnal in about the middle of september or the end of september and especially in rural areas is because this predator us hasn't been there all summer and then all of a sudden we start scouting we start hanging stands and pruning branches and doing stuff and this this strange predator that hasn't been there for months all go back up and boom i mean i use this 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 uh example a lot canadian geese okay so on public beaches in the summertime you can't shoo those damn things away i mean they literally they'll hiss at you and everything else the first day goose season comes in you can't get a quarter mile them thing (laughs) 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 so animals can sense you know what i mean when we mean them harm and, and i think they also know in the fall of the year, when humans start showing up in the woods a lot more than they were in July and August, I think they know something's up. They also figure out pretty quickly, and trail cameras prove this, that we're only there in the daylight. That's another reason why I, re- I believe they get very nocturnal is because all the, all the predators, not all, but us being the strange predator is only there in the daytime.
2: So do you think the October law that people talk about, do you think that's generated by us or do you think that's just something in the deer's natural <laughs> genetics that the they're doing something else during October. Do you think that's
4: predicated by us? Uh, maybe. I mean, there are probably a lot of factors to go into. it. I, I've, I've seen that before, though. All of a sudden, your cameras will be real active. You'll be hunting and seeing a lot of deer, and then all of a sudden, boom, everything shuts down. Now, not necessarily October, but the end of October, 1st of November, if after the leaves have turned, if we get a thunderstorm or a, or a, a strong wind comes and knocks all the leaves down that'll screw them up for four or five days because the woods change overnight. The woods go from dark and you know what I mean? They've had this cover all summer to all of a sudden, man, it's wide open. I think that that'll make them real jiggy. But as far as the, the October law, I hear people talk about it. It's probably, it probably has more to do with the breeding cycle of when the does, you know what I'm saying? Cause when the, I think when the, when they, when the velvet comes off and you know, they start to, the, the, the hormones start to get going, then they get a little more active. And then I think they kind of settle down a little bit. And then all of a sudden some does start to come in, you know, start to cycle some of those older does. And I think that's what really kind of kicks things back off. So there might be a gap in between, you know, when they shed their velvet and, and when the actual, you know, breeding cycle starts. So when, when we're in the early season,
2: the first, just say the first three weeks of the bow season here in Ohio, do you limit the hunting pressure in your woods and, and kind of, Save you know save that pressure for for more like pre rut rut what what are your what are you
4: a lot of that would you know where we're hunting and what we've got to hunt I mean there are some years that early on you know we have some exceptional deer and and we will hunt them but a lot of times you know these deer uh, the, the deer that we target tend to be more huntable as October progresses and they start moving more they're up and on their feet more. You know, if you can get on, I mean, I killed the biggest buck of my life. This, this, this buck right above me here, he's actually the biggest deer in in this County. And I killed him opening day of bow season, October 1st, 2005. Um, But I'll, I'll be the first person to admit, I did not have him pinned down that year. It was, it was, I mean, I knew he was there. I knew I had two and a half years of my life in the deer, but I, I, I wouldn't tell you that boy, he was entering the field over at that corner, you know, seven nights in a row or anything like that. I just went to, what i thought was a logical spot to kill them actually wound up killing them in the morning which is even more unusual because this time of year morning hunting is pretty tough er, early in the season because if you're hunting mostly food sources and the deer are already there so you can beat them there in the afternoon it's hard to beat them there in the morning so you shoot this and and for for people listening to this that deer was huge um what did it score Two 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 eighteen plus Six 6'8". I think he grosses like two two 246, something like that. So you shot that opening day
2: when, I mean, was that like a relief for you? Or, and, you know, the first week in November, were you just pacing around the house because you should be in a deer stand, but you're at home? And what,
4: how did that work out for the entire year? Uh, there there, there were really was one downside to killing that deer. And that is prior to that, every year, I always wanted something better than the year before. Every year I wanted to get, I wanted to 130. Over every year i had a target something else and when i killed that buck um i, I had hit the top of the hill i mean my chances yeah. of ever uh, in the county where i expect because i don't travel much to hunt anymore so my my chances of ever killing a bigger buck are, are really not good and so it took that out of me fortunately my kids at that time were just getting old enough to climb into all of my stands and so i, I funneled a lot of the enthusiasm that i had for the sport i funneled it into my kids and that was sort of a godsend. And then later when my boys got older and, and, and kind of flew the coop on me and they still hunt with me, but not quite as much as they used to, um, to make it interesting. What, what we like to do now is we like to pick out a specific deer and, and hunt that deer. That's how we keep it fun and keep it challenging. And, and, and I will say that over the years, we've passed on some, some pretty good bucks that previously we, we probably would have, would have tried, but it wasn't the deer we were after. Yeah,
1: no, that's, that's interesting. Mike, okay, quick, stupid question, just because when I listen to stuff, I, I, you know, all day long and stuff, do you guys name your deer or is it just, that's the deer?
4: Sometimes, sometimes yeah. we, um, I, uh, I killed one a couple of years ago, actually a couple of years ago, 2013, that I'm getting old. That's a 2013, just a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, that, that I named or my boys named the Teflon dot. And the reason we called him the Teflon Denon is because we we really believed he was unkillable, and uh, and and I killed him, and it was blunt. my son. He was eight and a half years old. We had five years of trail camera photos of him. He he didn't. He wasn't by no means the big, highest scoring bucky. The year I got him, he netted like 150 inches. I mean, he was a nice deer, but he he never got any better than that. But uh, and interesting enough, he was he was a nine point, a ten point, an eight point, and then a ten point, ten point, ten point after that. But anyway, um, he. Lived in an area that um, he could get old. But the, the way I like to hunt him uh a lot of the times is I I am I'm, I'm big on pinch points and funnels and and uh you know inside corners and things like that. And and that buck, when you when you get to get to be eight and a half years old, you don't get that way by being lucky. And so he he wouldn't fall for the the, the traps that I had set for him. Matter of fact, I, I had my first encounter with him. My my, my oldest son hunted him or actually my middle son hunted him two years previous, my oldest son hunted him the year before that, and then they handed me the baton on the third year, and I had an encounter with him on Halloween, and perfect, I had a, if you can envision this, there was a, like a five-acre ridge cap field that was planted in a food plot, and at the back left corner, it dropped off into a hard hardwood ravine, real steep on either side, and there was about a, probably a 70-yard gap from the corner of the field to the ravine where it was so steep that it was like a you know like a cliff almost so i had a perfect funnel like a 70 yard gap where the deer that wanted to come from east or west either had to cross the field or go all the way around the ravine or you know what i'm saying or pass right through the funnel i'd sit i had to stand on the north end and on the south end for a north wind or a south wind and uh i'd sit there and watch deer during the rut just all day just parade through this place and so halloween evening here he comes the teflon dine he's out in the field and he's about to pass right through the funnel. And I thought, you son of a gun, you know. And so anyway, got about 70 yards out right at the edge of the field. And the wind was in my face. Everything was perfect. And I'm way up in the air. I'm 35 feet in the air. And I'm hidden. And and, and he just stops. And he starts looking around. He looks left. He looks right. And all of a sudden, he looks up straight at me. And his eyes get as big as saucers. And he just uh. starts walking. And he steps backwards out in the field. And he makes a big loop all the way around. I said, oh, my God. No way he smelled me. He saw me, absolutely saw me up in that tree. So anyway, that's on Halloween. So if you fast forward to the 16th of November, I had a second encounter with him and he was coming from the opposite direction. Everything's perfect again. I'm in the opposite stand and the winds in my face and everything's good. Out to pass through that cut and he gets probably 50, 60 yards from the cut and he stops and he just starts looking around and he doesn't see me, but he just looks around he can see up in the field there are other deer in the food plot. He sees them. He looks around and he backs up and he didn't really back up but he just walks a big loop all the way around that ravine. He would not pass through that cut without knowing if there were danger on the other side because he could, you know I he, mean, he, he, his nose would fail him. So anyway, about 15 minutes later, I hear some some commotion out in the field and a doe trots right underneath my tree with her tail up and right behind her. I hear that and I look up and here he comes with his nose to the ground and he walks right under my stand. And I killed him. but It was blind ass luck. I mean, the way I wanted to hunt natural travel pattern through that cut, he, he wasn't coming through there. Uh, unfortunately a, a, a girl cost him his life, but, oh, uh, man. if man. it wasn't for that doe, no way that deer dies of old age. And this is interesting. So I told you my boys and out them. my, my, my middle son, Made a bad hit on him the two years prior. I tried to shoot him hard quartering away and shot him in the rump. Shot him in the in, in the, like in the back roast, I guess. And then my oldest son made a bad hit on him, which my sons are usually pretty good archers, but but anyway, and hit it, Shot him in the armpit. And hit him low right here. And when we field dressed him, he had the scar from my my middle son in his butt. He had the scar from my oldest son in his armpit. And he had somebody else's broadhead in his brisket. Somebody had shot him straight on in the brisket. So he had been shot at least three times prior to that to make it to eight and a half. I mean, Teflon Don, that
2: is like, that is the perfect nickname for that. You couldn't, you that couldn't do better with the name there. That's no. that's perfect. No, that's that's great. So I, I, I want to stick with, you know, so when you're hunting that early season, um, how are you picking your tree stand locations your your hunt locations are you basing those solely on deer patterns what you've seen during the summer um are you just hunting like bed to food bed to food wind weather what what kind of dictates what stand
4: location you're gonna hunt exclusive food early season's all all about food yeah i mean they bed there's so much cover this time of year they bed where they get tired yeah i mean it it really there's a lot of you know there's just so much cover there's brush fee i mean it's it, bedding becomes actually bedding cover becomes probably most important in the late season deer bed a lot of times this time of year they just bed where. they
2: so when you're kind of in season are you using um like trail cams to help with deer movement or is it just what you see
0: out there uh, what,
4: what trail cameras are a huge part of our uh, wireless trail cameras are a huge part of our uh of, of our strategy as a matter of fact i I struggle with it sometimes because borderline cheating. I mean, it, 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 when I say borderline, some States like Montana, you know, i you, uh, the Boone and Crockett club, for example, if you have, which is the world record, you have a wireless trail camera photo of an animal prior to killing it. The Boone and Crockett club won't accept your entry because they think it's not sporting, which, I mean, I kind of think that's hypocritical because you can hit one with your truck and they'll accept that entry. But, uh, but anyway, um, wireless trail cameras are, are a complete game changer I, I have personally killed three bucks in the last seven years that were a direct result of a wireless trail camera where one I, w- I was in a stand on early november and i got a picture sent to my phone of a deer on another place that i hunt and i couldn't see him real well but he, he looked big and so i got down out of stand and i waited a couple hours i went and got in the other stand and an hour later he came the other way i killed him uh another one in the morning, I was going to hunt in the morning and I got up, I had showered, got ready to go, and I was just about to take off to go to my spot. And the buck that I was hunting was within a hundred yards of my stand. He was just about to pass through. So I didn't go. And then I killed him that afternoon. If I would have gone that morning, I'd have bumped him out in the dark. I'd have heard something run off. They all sound like, you know, cows running off in the woods in the dark yeah. and, and wouldn't have had the opportunity. Then another deer the only late season buck that i've killed in my life in january big buck um i had no intention of going hunting but i those tra- wireless trail cameras sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night and check them and and uh <laughs> i happen to get a picture at about five o'clock in the morning of a deer that a, a pretty big buck and so i called called in sick that morning you uh, know i wound them, but i never would have gone that morning if it weren't for a wireless trail camera what oh, time uh, are you
2: oh sorry what time are you walking into your stand every morning I mean are you in there at 4
4: a.m yeah, it, it all depends uh, I as a rule of thumb I like to go if I'm a hunt in the morning I like to go in when it's just cracking where I can walk in without a flashlight where it's still fairly dark but it's not so dark that I can't see without a flashlight because I mean at least I have an outside chance of seeing if there's a, if there's a good deer the deer I'm hunting is close by. I have an outside chance of seeing him before he sees me. If I go walking in in the dark with a flashlight, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're just going to spook whatever's there. You just are. Corey, go ahead.
3: Oh, I was just going to ask like, how often do you guys find yourselves like maybe not completely satisfied with the setup and either moving a stand in the season based on what you're seeing or maybe putting up a new sa- stand during yeah, the season? All the time. All That's the time. A, yeah. Okay.
4: I'm, very mobile constantly how many never... sets
2: what you have before you you just say this stand location is a bust i'm let's let's move is that is that the eye test or do you is that a combination of trail cam and hunts when when do you pull
4: out of a uh, location that's because trail cameras only show you kind of a finite picture of what's happening trail cameras are, are used we use those more for finding deer that we want to hunt but actual that nothing can replace like I don't, can't tell you how many times I've been hunting near a trail camera and maybe uh, it'll get two or three pictures and heck there might've been, you know, umpteen deer within a hundred yards there. You never knew we were there. So yeah, it's it, more of an experience thing. I also personally, and my boys are the same way we like to have for each set, wherever we're hunting, we like to have multiple stands for multiple wind directions because you know if you only have so many days and the rut's only so many days long, you know, and, and, and and the wind is constantly wrong, then you just, I mean, I would rather not hunt a spot incorrectly than go in there, you know, on a bad wind that I know, you know, some high probability of getting winded. So if, if you can, whenever possible, we have, we've got multiple sets for multiple different wind directions.
3: You just answered my second, my follow-up question, which is, is, is there too many stands to have in one area if you want to hunt the right wind?
4: Yeah, yes. no, I don't think so. I really yeah. don't think so. I mean, it depends on how
2: many your wife will let you buy. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's right. You just that's don't right. tell her.
1: That's the thing. Right. Just oh yeah. The, uh, Mike, when we're talking about these stands and stuff, and and I bring the, some of this back down to the fundamentals. Are we talking ladder stands, uh, hang ons, climbers, saddles? What what kind of stuff are you guys working with?
4: <clears throat> uh, probably ninety five percent of my stands are hang on stands.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I am not a tree stand guy. We've talked about that in the last couple episodes. I am a boot on the ground. You're not getting me a a hang on stand. I I, I might as well jump off
3: of a building yet, Paul, yet
2: it's not going to happen. So there's nothing
3: better than falling asleep (laughs) up in a tree stand. I'm telling you when that sun comes out, I'll do
2: that. My ground blind. (laughs) So, so Mike, when you're, you're hunting that, that early season, Mm -hmm. The weather starts to change. The deer movements patterns start to change. When when do you think in your area of Ohio the pre rut starts? Like what 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 do you classify as pre rut? Is it is it calendar driven? Weather driven? Is it what you see? Yeah, I think it has to
4: do. You know, it's the the rut is triggered by angle of the sun and hours of daylight. So it's pretty much the same time every year. It has Mm -hmm. to be. I mean, nature designed it. If if the rut was really, I mean, I know a lot of really good hunters that put a lot of stock in the moon. I personally don't. I'm not saying that there. I think there might be something to it, and there definitely are some days it's hard to explain why the deer are so active, and other days where you think they should be and they aren't, and and so the, maybe the moon factors into it, but nature is pretty precise in that. If the deer if they rut too early, the deer they're born too early, they don't survive them. They, they're they're too small. For year and they don't survive the winter so the farther north you get especially condensed the rut gets because it has to be on south where it's warm you know it's not nearly as critical but but you get up you know midwest and north and, and the ruts got to be pretty much the same time every year close you know maybe not exactly the same but um you know my my strategy is like i said early we hunt food sources and then coming up here you know end, end of october then we go more towards, uh, you know, pinch points or places where we're, you know, consistently getting pictures of good deer. So when you're picking your kind of peak season, peak rut season
2: locations, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that, is that history? Is that what you're seeing You know, during that particular season? I mean, every season can be different. Is it weather driven mm-hmm. or like, do you hone in
4: well, on one location for the rut? I, uh, I mean, I, I can't, again, it's, it's, it's variable, but in, based on experience, there are places like, for example, buck sign, deer scrape specific places every year. And it's just like if we were talking about turkeys earlier. There are just certain places that turkeys like to roost. They just do. And so there, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I a lot of times, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea where the buck sign is going to be you know, before the rut comes in. But as far as, as far as I weather's probably the number one factor. You know, I mean, deer have fur coat on in, in the wintertime or excuse me, in, in, a, in the fall of the year, if it's 80 degrees, I mean, you wouldn't run around much with a fur coat on. You'd, you'd wait till the sun goes down. And so um, weather's probably more more critical than any other factor. Okay, Mike. So
1: when you got that heavy coat of fur and mm-hmm. your hormones are raging and it's 75 mm-hmm. degrees the first week yeah. of November, like last year, yeah. what are you mm-hmm. doing uh, during that? Well... <laughs>
4: I'm crying like everybody. else. But, uh, <laughs> I I think that, uh, you know, I think that the deer are going to move a lot more on them. First light, last light pattern. I watched a buck once on a, a 70 degree early November day. I watched a buck bed down a really nice buck. Actually I was trying to kill a deer that my son wound up killing. And I watched him bed down. He bed down within like 40 yards of my stand. And he, I'd never seen this before he fell asleep and he laid on his side. And if you've ever seen like a dog that's dreaming, and he uh, like, he like kicks his legs. Like he's, you know, he's dreaming. He's running from something. He's chasing something. This buck started doing that while he was asleep. <laughs> and all of a sudden he woke up and he just looked around and he, and he, then he kind of rolled over, but he got a good 15, 20 minute power nap in, uh, in the middle of the day, right in the middle of an open hardwoods, but it was like a, a 70 degree day.
2: He was having nightmares about you and your boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. So in, in that, that rut phase, hunting um are you a fan of scents or lures putting out mock scrapes um
4: yeah no using not, rattling not really. antlers grunt calls or do you try to disturb no. the woods and their natural process as little as possible yeah no well i'm, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't work but it, it doesn't work for me um i have in my life i've rattled in deer before but they almost always see me before i see them um I mean, I know guys that are, you know, successful. I have one friend of mine's a rattlesnake. I mean, he rattles all the time. I used to tell him, how do you know the deer was just coming through because he rattles so much, but, but, um, it, I mean, that stuff does work, but it's just, it's not part of my, my tactics.
2: Okay. So when, when that kind of the peak rut activity hits and you're seeing deer movement, you're seeing everything that, that hunters want to see, how many, you know, how many hours are you putting in stand? Are you hunting early morning? Or are you hunting all day? Or are you just, are daylight, and nighttime hours, what's what's, what's your strategy? Yeah, a lot
4: of it has to do with the, the, the stand location. So if the stand's really hard to get to, then then occasionally I'll sit all day. If the stand's in a high-pressure area, like in the last uh, 12 years, I've hunted two, two areas where I sat all day. One was really hard to get to, really hard to get to. Uh, and my son actually wound up killing this buck. But I sat up on this, this rock, I had to scale a cliff to get to it. But I sat up there 11 days from daylight till dark, which is grueling. And then uh, two years ago, I was hunting a lot of public ground. It was a specific deer and he was he was tra- traversing public ground. And I was hiking to the back of the public ground where, where I had two stands set up or a, a stand set up. And then and, and I had a ground blind set up back there. And I spent several days in there from daylight till dark and actually kind of uh, amazed myself at how many deer I saw in the middle of the day saw a lot of deer in the middle of the day back here on, on Wayne national forest. Mm.
1: Yeah, you're kind of down there in the uh, zone where Ohio has good public land. Uh, most Correct. of us are, are, we don't have a lot of that. So,
2: right. so when you're, when you're in that, yeah, that not... Oh, good. Sorry, Mike. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. When you're in that, that, that peak rut activity, I mean, will you switch a stand location morning, evening? I mean, will you, will you bounce around if if you're getting yeah. trail cam data that's coming in, mm-hmm. or or like yep. you're driving back for lunch and you see a buck walk? I mean, so you're you're totally fluid with with how the how the woods are moving, then, right? Sure.
4: Yep. And and a lot of that's based on trail cameras, correct?
2: Okay. So if I if I'm a if I'm a deer hunter in the state of Ohio, and I have one week of vacation to hunt what -hmm. week am I
4: taking okay so it depends on what your objectives are I'm I'm the secretary and the records chairman of the Buckeye Big Buck Club the state record book and I can tell you that the vast majority of state record book deer are killed the first two weeks in November but the the I don't say the vast majority but the majority of top end bucks Boone and Crockett class really really old big mature bucks are killed the second half of november between probably the 12th of november 15th through the first gun cracking of gun season through uh thanksgiving really so if your objective is to yeah if your objective is to kill a four or five year old buck 140 150 inch deer the first two weeks of november are really hard to beat if your objective is to kill a 170 uh you'd probably be better better served to hunt the second half of november based so on when it, when, the, when the bucks are killed so is that because i mean is that is that the the actual rut activity
2: kind of peaks the second half, or is it because all of us took yeah. our vacation the first week of November?
4: And uh, nobody, you know, I have smart no, ones like you. No in scientific the woods. data to back it up, but yes. That, that's what I think. <laughs> yes. That, that I think that the, the the bigger deer, the older deer, um are probably more prone to moving around when they know there are fewer predators in the woods. Mm.
3: I'm
2: at the replay. I'm going to take duck season off and then I'm going to take the third mm-hmm. week of November off. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I think my mind I mean, is like, you've blown. changed, you've changed my vacation plans for 2020. There you go. Month, so, mm-hmm. um, Andrew, did you have a question?
1: No, I just was curious as to why that was. And now I'm deep in thought thinking about this. Now I'm that not was- going to lie. Personally, the last couple of years, I felt like I've seen more activity per- when I'm sitting the later half of november and i don't know if it was the weather or whatever but um i mean uh, that
2: wrecked my that wrecked my thinking actually that's that's um
1: do you do you gun hunt at all
4: or are you uh, done well, by that yep, point usually y- yes and no I've, I've killed one buckeye big buck with a gun and that was uh just two years ago what's the
2: what's the uh how, how do you get into the buckeye big buck club obviously uh, not so we well the buckeye big
4: buck club which is our ohio state record book it. It, it, it has a you know the, you use the Boone and Crockett scoring system and the minimums are 140 inch net typical and 160 net non-typical so like the Pope and Young Club which is the archer world record book there 125 150 Boone and Crockett, which is the world record book is 170 195 and the Ohio State record book is once kind of in the middle 140 160. how many Buckeye Big Buck club entries have you uh, put in?
2: I have 22. 22 man is that all that's it that's it yeah <laughs> that's it yeah. so i have i what, what what kind of defines like a successful season for you i mean obviously you know I, i'm sure your priorities you know you said that earlier your priorities have kind of changed with you know with your kids getting into mm-hmm. it and then if you have grandkids mm-hmm. it's going to change again you know what mm-hmm. what defines a successful hunt or not
4: hunt but a successful season mm-hmm. for you i, I mean and, and, and has that changed
2: over yeah, the absolutely.
4: Absolutely. So last year, my, my three sons and I all killed Buckeye big bucks. And I think that's happened just a handful of times. So that's, that's sort of the summit for us. If we, if, if all of us get good bucks, I last year, I didn't buy a hunting license, excuse me, I didn't buy a deer tag until November the 5th last year. I didn't hunt at all in October. Wow. So are now down, down there
2: or, you know, where, where you're at, I know, do you, do you do a lot of Turkey hunting during the spring? Is that kind of,
4: Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs>
2: so, so I have, I, I actually, I, I told you this on the phone, but I killed my first Turkey on a property next to yours. Um, right. Right. And uh, and I, I remember like the first day we were out there, like you had all the turkeys on your property and, and me and the guy were just like, well, we're not going
4: over to Mike's. And we
2: just sat there along this line fence and just watched like all these toms and just stood there and, and, you know, just watched them all walk out of our life. But a couple of days later, I finally got my, my first Turkey, so that's uh you're yeah that was a cool that was a cool moment for me so hey
1: mike so you've got uh, a lot of experience with the buckeye big buck club the measuring of mm-hmm. the deer all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. we hear all the time 160 class 170 class all this kind of stuff oh i was sitting there and you know the a 180 walk but i couldn't shoot him. whatever i know the guys are trying to measure them off the hoof hoof or whatever they mm-hmm. how they call it but you know, when you're looking at deer and you're deciding, all right, am I going to pull the trigger on this one or not? How do you, can you give a real brief rundown of measuring on the hoof and what, what you're looking at for something like that? Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, well, let me first say that the, the average hunter who's not real familiar with the Boone and Crockett scoring system will guess wrong every time. I mean, uh, I, I, I hear people say, yeah, I see a 180. There's a 180. In the state of Ohio, now we're talking about net scores. In the state of Ohio, there might be four or five 180-inch deer typicals killed in a year in the whole state. And I know guys that see them every time they go out. I mean, so (laughs) what they see, they see big bucks. Right. And, you know, a a big buck and a 180 are usually two different things. So um, a lot of times, you know, my boys and I, we run so many trail cameras and we put so much emphasis on the trail cameras we have a pretty good idea. Now I will tell you this. So the cameras will fool you. Then they will fool you in both directions. Sometimes you'll think, you know, wow, the deer's giant. And other times you'll think, you know, he's not so much. And I got a friend of mine killed a deer last year that, that we had several trail camera photos of, and he wasn't on our radar. And I helped him track it. We walked up to it. And then my jaw dropped. I was like, Oh my gosh. And what it was a really big buck, big body deer. Which you know really can fool you can go the other way too. We've killed deer. I, I killed a buck ten years ago that we swore up and down was a one sixty. It was a one forty, and it was because the deer was like you know he was a runt. He was a small deer, and so uh it, it can fool you. But on average, you when know, you're looking, the, the Boone and Crockett scoring system is all about symmetry and tine length, and so you know we're looking for you know lots of points if possible and tall tines, and you know that that that's the most important. I mean tall tines are more important a lot of times people are interested in heavy deer massive deer and, and, it, and it and it gives a deer shock value but but mass doesn't do much for score it's time length that, that really adds to the score i read this really
2: interesting story and i'd, I'd like for you to share it tell me about the sticker time buck because i think that that kind of mm-hmm. did, was that like a miscalculation or
4: how how did that all work out okay so that that deer was actually killed by my son Mm -hmm. and that was the deer i was telling you that's the the same i was up on top that rock where i watched that deer take a nap and okay I i was hunting the sticker time buck when i was up there um it was just a really 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 difficult place to get to and uh we would routinely we would leave thousands of dollars of equipment in the woods like bows range finders heater body suits all kind of stuff because i told my boys i said you know thieves are lazy and no lazy person can get here <laughs> without a helicopter it's just too hard to get there so i mean we it and it, it, it just made the walk in and out so much easier but uh but anyway yeah so my son wound up killing that deer and he was a really interesting deer he uh we had we had wireless trail cameras set up on this hillside and we had a bunch of bunch of pictures of this deer coming off this rock and and he would only come down well i shouldn't say he would only come down but he came down off the rock earlier based on over a hundred different trail camera, a hundred different days where we had trail camera photos. of him. He would come down off that rock like two and a half hours earlier when the wind was in his face. If the wind was at his back, he just would not come down off that rock. And my son wound up killing him late season. Like I want to say like the 28th or 29th of January in a level three snow emergency. Oh. And uh, th- what, what happened was, he had got he he was hungry everything was covered with ice and snow and so his stomach got the better of him and he came down off that hill in the daylight my son got him but yeah it was of all the deer that we've killed over the years he he probably ranks number one and most effort it was it was a family effort like my my other sons were involved in it i was involved in it my 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 oldest son was the one who pulled the trigger but it was not trigger but he's one that shot him with his bow but but uh you know the the whole clan we just had a lot of effort in that deer plus for my son he was only 16 years old you know to have the composure with a deer like that and you know what i mean to be able to to get even just to get drawn i mean it was it was it was quite an accomplishment yeah do you still get buck fever i mean absolutely if i quit if that if that emotion quit happening i'm going to quit honey because it's way too much work How do you, how do you control that? I mean, that, that that was like, for for me, when I first started, when I first started bow
2: hunting, you know, I I had small bucks and that first like really big buck I had in front of me. And it was a one eighty mic. I'm telling you right now. Right. right, right. (laughs) Um, Right. I, I blew it. I mean, I absolutely blew it. I came unhinged and it was just kind of like you, you, you learn by doing things the wrong way. I mean, how is someone that's, that's been there, done that, you know, what, what do you do? What, that, that other you know, younger hunters could kind of latch on to?
4: Well, well, let me first tell you a story about 40 years ago. There was a guy, his name was Miles Keller, and you guys probably have never heard of him. But back in the eighties, he had killed more Pope and young whitetails than anybody. This was maybe early eighties, 82, 81, 82. But anyway, I was in a, a place, a, a sporting goods store in Columbus, Ohio, called Vance's Shooter Supplies. And they had this guy in there for doing an in-store promotion. us. Okay, Mark. He was in the, <laughs> no, he was in the original one. advances on Cleveland Avenue. Yeah, oh yeah. So, so anyway, I'm in there, and, and uh, he's there doing this in-store promotion, and and uh, I asked him. I said, Miles, I said, what do you how do you, how do you, the exact question you just asked me? And uh, he said, Well, he said, once you're around enough big bucks in your life, you'll learn to calm down. And since that time, forty years later, I realized that he's full of baloney because there is nothing and I, i'm full of a lot of stuff but but there is nothing you can do to replicate the adrenaline rush and so like when you tell me first start hunting anything you when you make up your mind you want to shoot a doe whatever it is that adrenaline rush that comes over you can't duplicate it you can't replicate it and so how do you practice that you can't now you can get really good with your stuff you can learn to be patient the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they get in a hurry. They see a they see a deer that they want to kill, and they like, oh my god, I got to get an arrow in that direction, or he's going to lead me. Where if they'd have just waited three more minutes or thirty more seconds, he would have gave him a perfect shot. Where hey, there are some times where that deer turns. This has happened to me many times where I've waited for the perfect shot, and the deer walked off, walked out of my life. But you would much rather have that happen than wound him, can't find him. Booger him up, whatever. You'd much rather let him walk off. I would much rather let him walk off than rush the shot. And so that's the that's the experience factor. But the rush, the adrenaline rush that comes over you when you see something that you want to harvest, there's just no way to duplicate that.
2: Yeah. No, that's, so that's, that's absolutely right. Like
1: I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but let's just say that you go through what we'd consider a failed attempt, uh, whether it's a mm-hmm. miss shot, miss opportunity. I know I have. And then I sit there and dwell on it for days. Um, yeah. How do you, how would you get over something like that? I mean, it, cause I think today's day and age and we talk about hunter recruitment and different things, you know, everybody is yeah. no patience and everything just has yeah. to come. It has to work. Yeah. And,
4: Instant gratification. Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. So
1: if you're trying to talk to the next generation and we all have young kids, that's a whole other mm-hmm. topic for you, but like, how do you just, obviously it's, it's a, it's a, a lesson in life that it will, it doesn't always go you know as disney world would have it or whatever you know it's not perfect you have ups and downs but uh, you have any advice on on that side of
4: things well the thing about hunting if if i mean one of the problems with our society are, is participation trophies right i mean now we don't keep track of score and, and you know that and and that's to me that's that's not a good thing and so i used to tell my boys and i still tell this what what makes a deer a trophy isn't so much as antler size as what did you have to do to get them? How much effort went into That's What makes it a trophy. And so again, getting back to, we've not killed an arbitrary big buck in years, not saying that we wouldn't if a Boone and Crockett walked by, but there's usually a certain amount of effort that goes into it. And the more effort that goes into it, the more gratifying. So for example, the sticker time, buck. what makes him, what I believe our most, Sought after trophy was everything that went into killing him. I mean, it was so much work, and he was so smart, and it took so much combination of you know being lucky and putting ourselves or my son put himself in a position to get lucky and you know all that stuff. So you know what I would what I would say I when my boys were little, I wanted hunting to be fun. I you know I'm saying, but I also wanted it to be challenging. If it make it if it's too easy, then they just go play a video game or or something else. There's got to be there's got to be some effort put into it. It's got, you want it to be fun. You don't want to get them out there on, you know, you know, 28 degrees, sleet rain, you know, that kind of stuff. When it's miserable, you don't want to do that either. But on the flip side, if there's no challenge to it, then then they lose interest. Yeah. So if, if I'm <laughs> a, if I'm a public land deer hunter only, and
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I've, I'm I'm just I've, I've been in a, a couple years. What's What's the number one? thing that i'm looking for to be successful in the woods is it is it wind direction you know control you know is it finding food is it finding buck sign if i'm going into a into a into an area that i hunt it's only public i get to deal with other people what am i looking for to be to have success and it doesn't have to be you know 180 inch deer but it could be something that i'm happy with what am
4: i looking for as a hunter well well first of all a trophy is relative to where it was killed yeah so you know uh uh 180 inch deer in ohio is is the equivalent of 150 inch deer in alabama or georgia or mississippi or you know i'm saying so it's relative to the area so again it's you know it's it's how many of them are out there and what are your reasonable chances of getting close to one um as far as public land goes a couple a couple of uh pieces of advice i give people first is everybody thinks that the the best deer the biggest deer on the back or far away as far away from the road as you can probably get or can possibly get so everybody goes to the back and they meet up in the back so a lot of times some of the very best hunting is close you know or closer to the road than you'd think or maybe in a, a an overlooked place where you know you, you, the average person just walks right by it or you know trying to get clear in the back everybody thinks you got to wear off shoe leather to get to the best public hunting and that's not necessarily the case because if everybody thinks that way everybody goes there that would be that would be the first you know second would be again don't set your expectations so high that it's unrealistic you know what i mean don't don't set your heart on 180 inch to your public land because then you're going to get you know you're going to get very depressed because it's probably never going to happen so i would say set a realistic goal you know what what would be a great deer that comes off of that area would be a one whatever or a eight point or whatever it is or just a mature buck whatever that is i mean just killing a mature buck a lot of times just you know, a uh, uh, hundred and thirty inch deer that's five years old It's pretty doggone hard to get close to.
2: Yeah. No, Mike this this has been this has been a fantastic conversation. I really I really appreciate your time and um, Corey Montz. You guys got anything else?
1: I like these these off the wall questions. Okay, so what's one thing you don't leave home without when you're heading to the to the stand, to the woods? And I'm not talking about your weapon or whatever. Like, yeah.
4: Uh, let me think about that for a second. The It's gotta be that mean, heated bodysuit that I read. Yeah, that you yeah, wear. that's that's out. gotta those be it. Are, right, those things are worth their weight in gold when it's cold out. Are they? I do, you still, never, do you still do you still use it? Oh gosh, well not I haven't, I haven't hunted late season much recently, but when it does, yeah, I would have never bought one of those. Uh, a buddy of mine years ago let me borrow. He he actually forced me to borrow one of his, and it was oh my gosh. I mean, those things—they—they they are as advertised. It, Just uh, I mean, tank. you wear too many clothes; it can be—it can be 20 degrees and stone sideways. You feel like you're in Bermuda. I mean, oh, it's—it. You can sit there for a long time in those things. They—they they really do work. But uh, the one thing it's probably seen—if I talk about equipment—I mean, a rangefinder is pretty important, real important, actually. Um, I'm pretty superstitious, so uh, you know, i i I'm kind of, i got some things that are good luck. So I take like I've shot when I, when I shot a vertical bow up until a couple of years ago, I shot the same Scott caliper release for 40 years, same release. And, uh, my bow, my compound bow was a 2004 Matthews that was given to me. I used to be on the hunter specialty staff and they used to give them to us. I'd get a new bow every year. I'd give it away because I'd killed several deer with that old bow and you know what it, it worked. And so I just, I, 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 I walked slowly from success. Yeah.
2: Awesome. That's good stuff, man. This has been, this has been great. I've really, I've really enjoyed it. And, and have you gotten out any this year or are you, uh, not
4: yet. And we, we were, I was hanging some stands and doing some stuff. We've got quite a few cameras out, so wait good. for it to cool down a little bit, but yeah.
2: Good, good deal. Well, hopefully you keep us, keep us, uh, you know let us know how, how the season shakes out so we'll, we'll stay we'll in do contact it. but I definitely I want to get you on I want to talk about deer density maybe that sounds sure. like something that would be cool to talk about like in the middle of July when there's you know, nothing yeah, else absolutely. To, to talk sure. about in turkey hunting so I'd love to have you back on at some point and, and uh man this has been great so sounds great yep. well, Mike thanks for your time man yep. good luck no appreciate it time, thanks guys man. thank
4: you oh.